Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I'm your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is www.thementalhealthgym.com. It's your source of information about positive psychology, goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and all kinds of things that are wellness-related. We hope you'll visit frequently and make any recommendations, communicate with us, including making recommendations for future guests of this podcast. Now, today... We have another one in our list of really enthusiastic and educational guests, people who lead their own lives with enthusiasm and can help us to do ours in the same way. Our guest today brings special expertise in a certain area that will be helpful to many of us. Gail Woodard is the author of Pay Attention, Say Thank You, Seven Rules and Practices for Joyful Living. Gail is also the CEO and publisher of Dudley's Court Press, a hybrid book publishing company. She's also written a number of other books, and she's a frequent speaker and presenter at industry conferences. Gail has an MBA from Yale and worked for many years as a consultant and executive in the real estate and banking industries. She has been a visiting instructor at several universities. She loves to travel, learn new things, and share what she learns, which we'll look forward to hearing what she has to share. She's committed to helping thoughtful people write, publish, and market meaningful books. And that's something that I know I'm very interested in, Actually, one of her books is called Write the Book You Were Meant to Write. It's a source of guilt to me. I obviously have written, but have more to write that I haven't gotten around to. So I'll be listening and re-listening to the podcast after we're done. Gail, thank you for being with us. It's such a pleasure and joy to have you join us. Well, thank you, Ron. It's really a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, let me start with something that I read in your introduction that Dudley Court Press is a hybrid publisher. What does that mean? I'll give it to you very quickly. There are really three ways to publish books today. There's the traditional route, which has been around forever, where a publisher buys rights to your work and then takes charge of doing all of the work of publishing and selling your book and pays you a small royalty. That's the way publishing was done for years, and it's still done that way. That's called traditional publishing. On the other end, because of technology and Amazon, really is the big mover on this front, we have this whole new industry of self-publishing, which has developed over the last 15 years or so. Self-publishing really means anybody could become a published author this afternoon. I mean, it's so easy. Kindergartners do this. I like to say that you can be a self-publishing author in two ways. You can do it as an amateur, you can do it as a professional. And there are millions and millions of people who are self-publishing books as amateurs. And it's wonderful because you can publish whatever you want. Authors now have the opportunity to have their book in printed form 
for a few dollars, the cost of printing one book, if that's all you want. It's also quite possible to make lots and lots of mistakes and end up with a book that really isn't what you had hoped it would be because in your mind, you're thinking your book is going to look like a traditionally published book. And when you end up with it, somehow it, it didn't come out that way because publishing a book actually is a very complex process. There's a lot that goes into it. To publish well as a self-publishing author, you really have to become a publisher. I mean, you really need to understand the publishing world and standards if you want to be publishing as a self-published author successfully in the commercial world. And then there's hybrid publishing, which sits in between. There are a number of models of hybrid publishing out there. I can talk about our model, which is partner publishing. We enter into partnership with our clients. We work in similar to a traditional publisher in that we don't publish everything. We're not a publishing services company, which is another form of company that's out there selling services to self-publishing authors. But like a traditional publisher, we have standards. We won't publish everything. We make sure your manuscript meets commercial editorial standards, if indeed your book is something that you want to produce for the commercial marketplace. We also do private editions for people who want a well-produced book, but don't necessarily want to have it in the commercial marketplace. But unlike a traditional publisher, we share royalties at a much higher rate. We charge a fee for our services up front, and we work with you as a partner through the whole process, but we do all the heavy lifting. I mean, you're involved, our clients are involved in decisions about their covers and things like that. But we use highly skilled and very clever and wonderfully experienced cover designers, for example. And that's a very important piece to creating a book that works in the marketplace. So we spend a lot of time building a really good product and building marketing into the product and then we continue working with our clients long after the book is published. We're not a transaction house that produces the book and sends you on your way. We work with our authors intimately to continue to market their books for years. And many of our authors have come back to do a second book or a third book with us. Hybrid is that mix between traditional and self-publishing. Usually or almost always there's a fee, but there are higher revenues paid, usually. That's really interesting. What does an author come to you with? I mean, is it a draft of a manuscript? Is it something that's been edited by somebody? Is it an idea? And then you give them the okay. What should they show up with or email you or whatever? We have a unique process. Ours is very simple. We start with what we call a get acquainted call. And anybody can sign up for one of those on our website. There are buttons all over the place to say, you know, let's chat or something like that. You just schedule a call and we talk. Those calls are with me. There's a little survey that somebody has to do beforehand, which gives me some insight into what they're trying to accomplish. And then in that conversation, I try to understand how best to help them. If it turns out that what they want to write about or what they've written about fits with our needs and desires in terms of publishing. We don't publish children's books, for example. We don't publish cookbooks. And there are some other topics that we're not interested in publishing. But if in the Get Acquainted call, I provide as much help as I can to someone based on where they are right then and there, 
if they want to work with us, the next step in working with us is a strategy session. So that's a half day deep dive with me. There is a fee for that. There's homework that someone does and I do. And we prepare and we basically create a strategy for the book that they're writing. What we do in that strategy session depends a little bit on where someone is. I like to get people early in the process because the worst feeling is to have someone come with a book that they have written and spent time, energy, maybe money on editing and all of that. And when they tell me what it is they want to accomplish with this book, because we always dig deep to find out what's really going on and what the author wants out of this book, it's heartbreaking when the book they've written has missed the mark in terms of what it is they want to accomplish. That's really painful. So I like to work with people early on. What does early on mean? Is it the idea or do you have an outline or a chapter? You know, it it really varies. Usually people have a pretty good idea of what they want to write about. Maybe early on we have a get acquainted call and it might be months later that they're ready to have a strategy session. But by that time, they've, they've done some writing. They've thought through, worked through the content a bit. And I'm talking nonfiction here. Fiction's a little different. So let's talk about nonfiction first. And then we do a strategy session, which could be that I review what they've written to give feedback, developmental feedback on the manuscript. But in some cases, I've worked with people where we've actually mapped out the table of contents. They know what it is that they want to say, but they don't know how to write. And in a strategy session, we've mapped out who the market is, who they want to talk to, what they need to say. We'll map out the table of contents and maybe they go and write it or they hire a ghostwriter or it can take many different forms. The strategy session covers a lot of ground depending on where someone is in their their process. But early on is good, but it's not really useful if you sort of have an idea and it's just an idea you came up with last night after you've had three glasses of wine. I mean, it needs probably to be further developed than that. But we can have a get acquainted call and talk about those things. Interestingly enough, I find most people are really attached to what they've started to write. They think they're delving into it. They think it's really important. I had a delightful conversation, just this pretty much finished it on biographies of Nobel Peace Prize winners. This was a get acquainted call. And I went looking on Amazon to see how many other books there were on this topic. I don't know anything about it. But there have been several books written. And when I told her that, she said, oh, well, in that case, I'm done with this. I'll move on to something else. <laughs> and she, she had invested great amount of time and energy in producing the book and thought the world would be interested. But I was really quite surprised but relieved that she had no particular attachment to getting this published. If the world already had this, she didn't need to do it again. Mm-hmm. So interesting conversations that I get to have with people. Do you find that books tend to be better if if somebody is writing about their passion or is it a matter of being technically a good writer that makes the book good? That's a great question. For nonfiction, the whole point is if you're writing nonfiction, you're probably the person who has the knowledge. You know the subject. You know what people need to hear. You may not be a great writer. But if you've got the knowledge and you have the, the desire to put your knowledge into a book, there are ways to do that. That's what ghostwriters are for. 
and many, many, many books out in the marketplace are not written by the authors. They're written by ghostwriters. And that's perfectly acceptable. There's nothing wrong with that. What is painful is to have someone who is knowledgeable, but is not a great writer, sort of stick to trying to be a great writer. And it's hard to get a good book out of somebody like that. Editors are essential for anyone. So there's the knowledge and then there's the writing. And if you're not a great writer, there are ways to get help. And we've been talking for a few minutes and I haven't heard the word agent mentioned. Are agents still part of the picture? In traditional publishing, yes. To get a deal with a traditional publisher, you work with a literary agent. They're sort of the filters through which traditional publishers work. You don't need an agent to come to Dudley Court Press. You can come to us directly. Great, great. That's really, really interesting stuff. But I I would like to shift gears slightly and ask a little bit about your own journey to this. As I said, you got an MBA from Yale. You've been consulting in real estate and stuff like this. How did you happen to get to be who you are today? It was actually fairly simple. I, at some point, I was at a yoga retreat, and we were asked to write our life philosophy. And I did that. It was in my journal. When I came back from the yoga retreat, it was that book there, that journal was on my bookshelf. Kind of a few months later, it was sort of like blinking at me, saying, make me into a book, make me into a book. I happened to have the time and energy to do it at the time. I pulled out the two pages of notes, and started writing. I just, you know, I just thought it would be kind of fun to write a book. I went through the same thing that many, many people go through, which is everybody's going to love this book. Everybody is my audience. Everybody should read this book. And then when I would tell friends about it, they would say, Oprah's going to love this book. All of that. So I have been went down that road. I wrote the book. It took about nine or 10 months to write the book. I had my days when I said, this is absurd. Why am I doing this? Who am I? What, you know, all of those kinds of questions. And usually something would happen, like a friend would write and say, you know, I know it's been a month since you sent me that chapter of your book to read. And I'm sorry I didn't get around to it, but I read it this morning. And I have to tell you, it changed my day totally. I'm so grateful. And that would always come at the point where I had kind of given up and said, this is crazy. I'll I'll go do something else. Nobody needs to hear it from me. So that would keep me going. And as I was finishing the book, I started to look around at publishers, which New York publisher was going to be lucky enough to get my book. That was my attitude. I was very fortunate to have a conversation with a literary agent who was very, very kind. And she said, who are you? (laughs) She said it very nicely, (laughs) but kind of, who are you? And why would anybody buy a book that you wrote? You know, and how many people are you in touch with? We use the term author platform today. What's your author platform? And, you know, I got a lot of brothers and sisters and other cousins, you know, they might buy the book. But beyond that, I had no knowledge of publishing. I had no audience. I had no standing to write a book about living a joyful life. Early enough, I figured out that traditional publishing would not be my route but to investigate self-publishing. Now, this goes back 12 years. So self-publishing had been around for a few years. It was pretty rough. 
I just was appalled at the quality of the books that I saw that were self-published. And I didn't want to be associated with the world of self-publishing. I mean, that was a real ego thing for me. So I did what any self-respecting entrepreneur would do. I started a publishing company and put my publishing company's name on my book. And I would honestly, I would encourage anyone who wants their book to be taken seriously in the commercial marketplace to consider doing that. One of the things about publishing that's really fun is that there really aren't a lot of rules. You know, it's not like banking and real estate where there were regulations everywhere about everything. Publishing's pretty pretty much the Wild West. You know, you can't plagiarize and, and you ought not to libel people. That's not a good idea. And invasion of privacy. Those are kind of the three things you don't want to you don't want to engage in. But otherwise, you can do whatever you want. And so you could create a publishing company or an imprint and still print on Amazon at very low cost, but you set up a distance between yourself and the book. And it looks like a publishing company has published your book. It's just a marketing thing, but it also made me feel better because I was, I was an author that my publishing company could support one way or another. So after I published my own book, and I did it to traditional publishing standards, and it won some awards, and I had to make the decision, do I, and I really should have done this long before uh, I published the book, I would encourage this of anybody, to think about your whole business plan around the book, but I got to it after I published the book, and I realized I didn't want to turn myself into a joy guru. That would be the thing that you would do to sell many copies of the book and build a business around it, I would have to be a joy guru. And I just decided I didn't want that. Everything I knew I put in the book. And frankly, I had so much fun in the publishing world that I wanted to continue. And several friends asked me if I could help them with their books. So for about five years, I did publishing as a hobby, used my company to help friends whose books I really, some I really loved, some of them, you know, they were private editions, but I went to school in the publishing world for about five years. I went to all the industry events. I went, I took courses, I took classes. I learned everything I could to be a, a smart publisher in a changing world. It was, publishing is still undergoing tremendous change, but at that time, things were when I said publishing was the Wild West, it really, really was. And I loved it because creative ways of doing things made sense. And so at one point, I started looking around for commercial ventures. I mean, people that I thought had really meaningful information that wasn't shared in a book. And then I started publishing for commercial purposes. I turned the company into a commercial enterprise rather than a hobby. And we stayed small until a couple of years ago because we traveled a lot. You know, this whole thing of COVID and working remotely and all of that, that's how I created my business. So because I wanted to be able to be traveling in South America and still work on books for people. So my whole business is very much a digitally based business. And I absolutely love what I do. I'm very happy that I decided to move into publishing rather than being a joy guru. But I share my joy through publishing, you know, and working with people about what they want to do, the dreams that they have to write a book or 
touch other people's lives through their work. I get to work with dozens and dozens of people on that front. So I'm a happy camper. That's really terrific. So even though you don't want to be a, a joy guru, there's certainly a part of you that isn't just in the technical book publishing area, you know, having looked at pay attention, say thank you, and some of the things that you've written and spoken about. Where did that part of you come from? And can you give us a little bit of a uh, the short course of some of the content in there? So, because I do think that aside from what you can do technically, that you've got some pretty important message messages to say, even if you don't want to do it all that. <laughs> all right. I'll put my joy guru hat on for a few minutes here. I'm very fortunate. I grew up in a happy, loving family. I have had conversations with people where my saying that gave them what they told me. They were so grateful to know that there were families that were loving because their experiences were not that. And so I don't come from in overcoming personal trauma. I come from a place where I was fortunate. I had very loving parents and a big family, and we didn't have a lot of money, but there was always joy and creativity and support, and there still is. What I learned, and I did a lot of personal development work just because I'm, I don't know, I guess that's just an area of life that was interesting to me. Studied and practiced meditation back when I was in my 20s. I started doing yoga back when I was in my 20s. So I was exposed to kind of Eastern thinking early on. I never became totally devoted to any particular religious or philosophical school of thought. I was fascinated by many. And so I learned many things and, and integrated them into my thinking. So my book basically says what I know is that there are seven rules and practices. The first three are the, are the most important, and they're really, they're easy if you pay attention, which is the first one. So paying attention to your life, to who you are, to what you're doing, being awake in your life is the first one. You can't do anything else if you're operating on autopilot, and you're not really living your life. You're just following somebody else's instructions. So, so paying attention is the first one. And my book has different suggestions about how to help yourself develop the ability and habit of paying attention. After a while, it just becomes how you are. You know, you're noticing how you're responding to things. You're noticing where your, your mind is. If it's not in the present moment, then you're not really living your life you're living in the past or you're living in the future. So it, that simple, simple idea, but it starts with paying attention and then saying thank you. And you know, there, you know this from being a positive psychologist. I mean, there's psych studies that demonstrate clearly that if you practice gratitude, your life gets better. You know, everything gets, you're happier. The challenges of life are easier to get through. So saying thank you all the time is a habit to develop. Keeping a gratitude journal, you know, where you write down three things every night that you're grateful for, or three things every morning, or however you want to do it. There are, there's no one way, but the point is to stay in gratitude all the time. And 
what happens is gradually you start looking at everything and saying, well, where's the silver lining in this? What can I be grateful about? And I'm going to throw something out here right now to tell you, this is how far I, I go. Uh, the whole COVID-19 thing, you and I are talking on June 10th of 2020. So we've all been, you know, shuttered away for several months. And what it has done, I think, quite frankly, one of the blessings of COVID-19 is that it has given many of us time in our lives that we used in different ways before. And it's giving us time to respond and react to the killing of George Floyd and all of the demonstrations that are happening in a different way. I think the juxtaposition of these two things, we've had killings of black men by police in the past, and there have been demonstrations and things, but we've never seen it like this before. I think that these things are connected because white people have time and are facing this for the first time, facing their own biases, their own racism, even if it's not intentional. And the resources that are available are tremendous for us. Uh, so I'm getting off the subject of how, you know, what are the basics of life philosophy, but saying thank you to things, finding the places to say thank you, even if it seems like a horrid situation. I'm grateful right now for the circumstances that we're in because I know what has happened to me to break down beliefs, which is another part of my book, changing your beliefs in a way that I've never, I've, I've just never been here before. And I think it's true for a lot of people. So paying attention, say thank you. And then the third easy step is to be quiet. Whether you pray or meditate or but just to shut off TV and Facebook and turn off everything that comes into your ears except sounds of nature, sit quietly and be with yourself. And that time of centering, you can do it in many, many different ways, but that helps you tap into the part of our world that we have lots of names for, but maybe don't. You know, it could be God, it could be the, the goddess, it could be the universe, it could be spirit, it could be whatever you want to call it, but it is something that's beyond our, our true understanding, but powers us. So those are the first three steps, and anybody can do those at any time. The next four steps take a little more work, you know, facing up to resistance, really grappling with your feelings, feeling them and naming them, and then actively changing to feel more positive feelings, you can do that. Changing your beliefs, that's one of my favorites to challenge belief structures. And that this whole thing about racism and white supremacy is a big one for me. And I've, I've been writing about it and talking about it with people because, you know, I'm, I'm almost 70 and it has just never been part of my life. It was somebody else's problem. And I'm, I'm not going into the shame thing about it because I'm just accepting the fact that this is how I, I was conditioned and I'm undoing the conditioning. That's my work. The final step of the seven steps in my book is to actually practice living love, to consciously take every opportunity to say, how could I make this 
situation or this conversation or this this experience I'm having standing in line at the airport, which of course we're not doing these days so much, but you know, how do I make it more loving? How do I bring love into this? And it's, it's like a game that we can all play that has tremendously positive benefits to ourselves and to other people around us. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing all that. It's, it's really, really important, I think, just to react to a couple of things. One, you know, change is something that can happen. You know, behaviors can be changed. Thinking can be changed. And I think anybody who started going to the gym and learned to like it, know that, that that's different, that you're in a different place than somebody who was watching and couldn't understand why somebody can keep doing this when you could be sitting around watching TV. You also can basically look on the positive side of things rather than filtering everything through a negative lens. And it may take some some work. I'm also really glad that you brought up the issue of what's going on in the world right now. I think so many of us you know, again, who considered ourselves not to be biased, there's a difference between not being biased and being kind of complicit by, you know, not doing something. And, you know, I think many of us grew up with the kind of the reassurance that since our ancestors didn't hold slaves personally, that we're absolved from the solution. I think that when I had my staff meeting last week, this was one of the topics. I think that I hadn't put it together the way that you did, but possibly these two crises in juxtaposition may have really contributed to our ability to see things differently because the reaction has been qualitatively different, and I suspect that the world is going to change because of it. I think so, and I hope so. I think that white people have a lot of work to do on ourselves and then contributing to the efforts that already exist out there to make, you know, taking action as anti-racists. I think the idea that to say, I'm not a racist, you can't do that anymore. Exactly what you said, you know, we, whites have not understood our role in, in maintaining the white supremacist system because we've been conditioned to it and we didn't create it. <laughs> and, and we're not racist and we love everybody and all of that. But I wrote a blog post, it's on our website, about basically leading with the language that I have been a white supremacist my entire adult life. And I think whites need to name that about themselves because you can't change any beliefs unless you identify it first, you know, and say, this actually exists in me. I understand that it's there now. And I'm going to dismantle it. The book, Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad is fabulous. It's must reading for any thinking white person today, in my opinion. Again, thank you for that. You know, it's much appreciated. But if I can switch to a lighter note related to COVID-19, I'm wondering, since more people have more times on their hands, are you finding more people are interested in, in following through with writing books? Yes, actually, I am. We have a couple of writers who, who basically, I remember back in March, one of our writers said, well, I got to tell you, my entire schedule for April has been 
canceled. None of my consulting clients want me around. So I'm going to spend April working on the document. Can we move things up a month, you know, in terms of our schedule? I have also had people attending our writer's sprints courses who said, I have time. I can do this now. So we do these online writing groups because life has changed. So I am finding that people who have wanted to write a book or have been thinking about it are acting on it. And I think it's wonderful. One question as we're starting to run out of time, one important question that I have, I don't know whether it was 15 years, whatever number of years it was from my idea to actually get annoyed enough with myself to sit down and, and start writing my book. What advice do you have for somebody who's, you know, has an idea, is pretty intelligent, did well academically, and could probably write a book if they got down to it? Well, first of all, I would say that many, 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 many people share exactly those feelings that you just described or are in that position. And what I know is that most people would love to have written a book. That's where they want to be. The part about writing, producing, and marketing the book, well, that they'd rather not you know, go through that. But that's the same as saying, I would love to be able to you know, run a, a, a marathon. I'd love to be, or in my case, a 5K, run the whole thing. That would be great. You know, I'd love to weigh in at 30 pounds less than I do. I'd love to be there. And then there's this journey to get from where you are to that goal. I think asking yourself why, and Simon Sinek's whole thing about the why is so important. Why do you want to write this book? What is it that you want this book to do for you? What are you expecting from it? And what would be the determinant, a determinants of success for you? I mean, how would you know that you've achieved your goals related to writing this book? If you can spend some time thinking about all of that, that's going to help. My why has been right, right on top of my computer the whole time I was working on a book because every time I would start to fade away, you know, I said, well, why am I doing this anyway? And if, it, if that why wasn't strong enough, I'd go do something else. And the point is, I think, this, it's really important to make the point that unless you're under contract, to write a book or you have to write a book because you know you're in the academic world and you know you need to publish or perish that kind of thing nobody's holding a gun to your head to write a book so if you don't have a strong enough reason to produce it and go through all of that give yourself permission not to just like that woman who I spoke about earlier who had the book about the Nobel Peace Prize winners it was really refreshing to her say, oh, well, I'm done with that then. If this, this book's already been written, I don't have to write it. Most people aren't that unattached to all the work they've put into it. You know, Understanding your why is absolutely critical. And that also will help you drive what you write. Because as you, you know why you want to write it and what you're expecting out of it, you must consider who your audience is and how you're going to reach them. And all of those things, those are the motivators for you. And if they're not strong enough, you know, it's okay to say, I don't care if 20 people a week tell me I should write a book. I don't want to go down that road. I'm not going to do it. And go do what you want to do. Life's too short to do things that 
we think we should do. We haven't thought it through enough. We think there's going to be some glory at the end, but really, maybe it's okay not to write the book. So in many ways, it's very much analogous to any other kind of self-improvement or behavior change. If you're doing it for yourself and you understand why you're doing it for yourself, pretty good chance that you'll do it. But if there's some other reason than that you're doing it for yourself and you don't understand the why, then you keep delaying and that's maybe better own that and uh, yeah. move on to other things that are, are really part of your why. Final question. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, how do people get to your books? How do uh, they get to learn about publishing? How do people reach you if they are interested in pursuing their goals in the publishing area? The best way is to go to our website, which is dudleycourtpress.com. D-U-D-L-E-Y-C-O-U-R-T-P-R-E-S-S.com. DudleyCourtPress.com. We have a lot of information on the website about publishing, about writing and publishing books, and that's the way to sign up for a schedule to get acquainted call with me. But there are videos and articles, and we're always adding new resources there. But that's the easiest way to do it. You can also find my books everywhere books are sold, Amazon certainly, but you know, Apple and Barnes and Noble for the ebooks. But I would encourage you to look for them at your favorite local independent bookseller or bookshop.org, a little plug for bookshop.org, which is a relatively new site where you can buy any new book. And if you have a favorite local bookstore that might not be open, they can get credit for your purchase by buying through bookshop.org. Oh, that's good to know. Unfortunately, you mentioned a word that makes me have one more question. We didn't talk about ebooks or audiobooks. If somebody is interested in publishing today, do you encourage that they do the gamut? Is there one type of, I don't know what it, what it would be called, one type the of formats. format that is, formats. is better, uh, better than others or what? Well, today, I would say make sure you have your book as an ebook. If you don't, then I would do whatever you could to make it an ebook right now, because right now, ebooks are selling. Bookstores are still closed, and who knows how long it will be before things get back on track with bookstore sales and therefore phys- a broad array of locations for physical book sales. You can still sell books off of Amazon, or Amazon is, is now selling books again. At the beginning of COVID, they stopped buying books for an entire month. They basically said all of our warehouse space is going to food items and medical necessities and not books. And so Amazon, which is the biggest retailer out there, didn't buy books from publishers and distributors for a month. That was really hard on the industry, but then they came back. And so paperback books are good. Ebooks are great. Audiobooks are a growing market. They're expensive to produce. And unless you know you're going to sell enough copies, you could drop quite a lot of money producing an audiobook and never see the return on it. So that's a tough one. And we have some books that we've done as audiobooks. We're looking at the economics of it right now for a lot of our other books. In some cases, you'll see authors doing their own reading of their books. That's far more cost-effective than paying somebody to do all of that narration. 
but you have to be someone who knows how to record and you need the equipment or you need the, the place to do it. So audiobooks are a little tricky, very popular and growing format, but you have to sell a lot to make your money back. Okay, more great information. And having said a few times that I was asking you the last question, that actually was the last <laughs> one. So I just want to take this opportunity to thank you so much. It's been so enlightening, so entertaining, so educational, so informative, and so helpful for sorting out, you know, our own thinking and feelings during this extraordinary time in our lives. And having your input on it was was really terrific. Thank you for letting me be a joy guru for a few minutes. It was kind of fun. (laughs) But I'm happy to answer questions from anyone who wants to reach out. So, you know, going to our website at DudleyCourtPress.com is, you can ask questions there or you can sign up for Get Acquainted Call. I'd love to chat with anyone. Thanks again for being with us. This has been Dr. Ron Kaiser. The podcast is Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Remember, our website is www.TheMentalHealthGym.com. Please listen to all of our podcasts, download, rate them, and be prepared to come back next week when we'll have another very interesting guest. Thanks again, Gail, and have a good rest of the day. Good day, everybody.